Hi, welcome to Eight Words or Less, the podcast that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, eight words or less. I'm Sammy and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm James, I'm your other host, and today is a bonus episode and we are joined by Rob Gardner, who was the person who recommended the book that we discussed last week, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. Rob, we're very grateful for your time. I, I know how busy you are, and it's really pleased just to get the chance to talk to you today about this book. As someone who successfully started and grew your own business, as an author and a director in, in many businesses, and a thought leader in financial inclusion, it's going to be really interesting to hear your insights. So I think just to start with, tell us, what is it about this book that you like so much, and what is it that made you recommend it to us? I have to say, this is probably, arguably, my my favourite business personal development book of all time uh, and at one point I used to buy it uh, as a gift uh, for, for for most people uh, I, I first read the book in in sort of 2014 and and I suppose it, it, it really it really resonated and look my, my background I spent the beginning part of my career working in investment banking I, I started my career at Deutsche Bank and then worked at Merrill Lynch and in 2006, left to start my own business, Reddington, with my co-founder, Dawid. I'd actually met my wife at Merrill Lynch, although she was still my girlfriend. And uh, on that journey, uh, we we got married and in, in sort of 2008. So, so fast forward to, to 2013, and things weren't going great. And I, th- I was falling into the classic trap of two traps, really. One, working in the business and not working on the business. So that was a business problem. Two, I was saying to my wife that she was the most important thing in my life and my priority and everything else, but all my actions and behaviors weren't that. So I'd leave the office and uh, I'd have spoken to my wife and said, look, I'll be home in half an hour. 15 minutes later, I'm still in the office because someone's grabbed me. Just one minute, just one minute. I would then walk through our flat at the time and I'd be on my blackberry or my phone and you know i walk in and just you know put my hands up to imply five more minutes uh, and it's fair to say that we were on course or trajectory for what probably would have ended up in in divorce just because i wasn't spending enough care and attention on our relationship uh, and, and what it meant to be married we'd been married for about five years at that point and what the book brilliantly does is helps make the point that lots of people fall into this trap of burying themselves in work and not focusing on the really important stuff, be that their relationships or or, or their health. And so for, for me, the consequence of this book is it, it kind of averted us getting divorced uh, and it helped me reprioritize our life so we could think about starting a family. And my wife was very clear that if we wanted to start a family, what my kind of commitment as a father, as well as a husband would have to be and what that would mean be my commitment to work and all the rest. So I suppose the book has probably turned on its head the priorities in my life by, by sort of beginning with the end in mind and looking ahead to the future and working backwards. 
Amazing. I'm very grateful that you found this book. I found it actually really powerful. And, and I think I mentioned this to you, Rob, but it's one of those books which I kind of wish I'd read 10 years ago. And a lot about what you were just saying about prioritization came through as Sammy and I read and discussed this book in the last episode. And actually, the central message that I picked up from that uh, episode was don't leave your life's purpose to chance which sort of lines up to what you were saying around beginning with the end in mind and working back from there. Yeah, I I think it's really interesting what you say about prioritization. One of the things that we discussed in the episode is the danger of focusing too much on money as a criteria for job satisfaction and how this is actually more of a hygiene factor than what Hertzberg would describe as a motivation factor. And certainly that resonates with the experiences I've had in my life. When I graduated from university, I got rejected from every single graduate program out there. So what I've noticed in my life is it's easier for me to connect the dots looking back. And it turns out I was really grateful for not getting into any of those grad programs. My first salary was £7,900 a year, would you believe? And eventually I made it up the corporate ladder. But I found myself in my mid-30s, I think having this illusion of what having made it look like. And then I got the phone call to find out that my job in Dubai was being corporate jargon demised. Um, And so I I asked myself, how much money did I need to live on? And I reminded myself that I was happy when I earned just over seven grand a year. And so I felt that I'd become free. and, And I know the word content comes from whole. I used to think that what I did or what I achieved made me somebody. And I now realize it's who I am and how I show up that's important. And Rob, so, so you, I mean, you were just saying that you left, was it Merrill's to start up your own business? Were you sort of, was any of this thought process, this idea around uh, focusing more on motivation factors and less on hygiene, part of what, uh, as you look back, part of what your made your decision process? No. So when, when I left Merrill Lynch, I think I was very much, as Sammy was talking about, in the what. If, if, if I'm allowed to jump outside of this book and pair this book with an excellent other framework, if you'd allow me yeah, to, please. is it a concept called ikikai, which is a Japanese concept meaning a reason for being. And if you, if you can imagine, it's a Venn diagram, and the four circles are what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. And imagine those overlapping like petals on a flower. And so I started my career in the bottom left-hand corner, which is a profession. So I worked in investment banking. I was good at it, and I could be paid for it. But I didn't love it. And it, and let's be honest, it's not what the world needs. <laughs> uh, and and so that, the point about that is that leaves you comfortable. I was well-paid. I was focused on being promoted. I was focused on all the externalities. So, you know, part of it's, you know, uh, you know, social anxiety and look at me and, 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 yeah, and comparing to your friends and your peers yeah, and, and, and your, your career's progressing and yeah. And, and, and a sort of feeling of emptiness. And so, you know, when I I'd just been promoted to be the youngest director at Merrill Lynch and when I left, you know, my parents and my friends were like one, earth are you doing and then jumping out to set up reddington which we ran out of you know dowed my business partner's attic and my spare bedroom and you know didn't have any money we didn't pay ourselves for two and a half year but you know we were jumping into the the, the kind of very center 
of Igikaye because it's something we loved. We wrote in our uh, application form to the FSA at the time, now the FCA in the UK, saying that we wanted to do to pensions what Jamie Oliver did for school food. If you remember back in 2006, Jamie Oliver was trying to change people's perceptions, saying, look, school food can be healthy and affordable. And, you know, we know that most people are turned off or bored by pensions. And yet it's a massive societal issue. The average person in the UK will, you know, run out of money 10 years before they die. The average man, the average woman, 12 and a half years. And in Japan, that's more like 20 years. So this, although it's a boring barbecue topic, is so important. So, you know, suddenly we were doing what the world needs, what we would love, what I was good at. And setting up a business, we weren't being paid for it at that time. But that, that for me, I hadn't realized it, by the way, in 2006, that I kind of jumped into that Igikai sweet spot. So in that FSA application about, uh, you know, saying we wanted to school due to pensions, what Jamie Oliver had done to school food, that then evolved into this idea uh, of a 100-year plan, a 100-year game worth playing, win, lose, or draw. And, and it's still on my blog today. I wrote it in 2012. Uh, but it's basically what if everyone could be confident and in control of their financial future? And that's kind of my why. Everything that I now do is linked to this idea of delivering financial well-being in a world worth living in. So whether that's financial education, I wrote a children's book, Save Your Acorns. I founded a charity called Red Start, uh, which delivers financial education uh, to young people. Uh, you know, I founded and built Reddington, whose goal is to make 100 million people financially secure. Uh, and now I'm, I'm, you know, the director of investments uh, at St James's Place, where we where the team's goal, the team's purpose is to deliver that financial well-being in a world worth living in. If you hadn't taken that first step to move from Merrill's, you might still be chasing just that hygiene factor of of money and and prestige, perhaps, and sort of social recognition. Yeah, look, I, you know, a lot of my friends who are still in that industry are still stuck in that what they're good at and what they get paid for and you know you know they're now in their kind of early to mid 40s and are lacking you know they're more than comfortable but feeling empty and you know the the question is how do they tap into what they love and also what the world needs and you know a lot of people do this by joining charities or all the rest you know it manifests itself in a midlife crisis and do triathlons and marathons and all the rest and then you do it and you get your medal and you cross the line and then you're like and what and so what i think but the point that comes across really clearly in the book and on multiple occasions clayton references he talks about his original mba cohort and how a lot of them almost lost their way and Certainly when I was reading it, you get a sense that to a large degree, this was almost caused by the fact that they just weren't paying attention to what their life's purpose was. Clayton at one point uses the analogy of being at sea without a sextant and consequently you're allowing your life to be dictated to by chance and by happenstance. And I think that leads to what you're also saying, Rob, about the trap of your career ending up perhaps being comfortable, but also being empty. I've read the book about three times and I sit down once a year and review my Ikikai. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, this is not a one-off exercise. And I know lots of people have New Year's resolutions and I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I kind of track a map. I've built my own kind of purpose framework to guide me. And it's something I consciously sit down for about 
an entire day or weekend once a year to kind of reflect on the last year and, and reflect ahead, not just for the next year, but for the next decade. What I loved about this book was that as well as getting you to think about your purpose, or almost in a way as, as Clayton phrases it, as, as your strategy for your life, he also spends a lot of time talking about whether you are really dedicating your time and energy, in other words, your resources, in line with that purpose. The question he asked that really made me think is how often do we say at the end of the day, I will just do another half hour on this presentation, or I'll jump into that meeting, or I'll finish this spreadsheet. And instead of saying that, we'll say, actually, I'm going to leave now and spend that half hour, that hour playing with my children, or um, uh, you know, cooking a meal, or doing whatever else is important for you in your personal life. And I think just all too often, when I was reading this, all too often, I default to the former. I would say without a shadow of doubt that my family is the most important thing to me. But quite often, when it really comes down to it, I would choose to spend that half hour um, just finishing off this email or getting this thing sent out. Um, and I thought that was really powerful. It was a very simple thing, but it was making me think, well, actually, am I aligning my resources, which Clayton Christian talks about, my time, my energy, on the things that I really think are powerful, what, what my strategy is in life? Exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, I shared the story about, you know, in 2013, why I read that book. And what I now practice is, so I use a, a book called the self journal. So I plan ahead for 13 weeks, and then I record backwards. So, you know, lots of people use Fitbits to track their steps. I rigorously track my time on a weekly and a monthly basis. But it's everything. And I my PA knows never to book more than two nights out a week, knows that I don't ever want to be on business away from work. Uh, when I started my new job, I put it in my job contract that I would work from home on Fridays. I realized that I wasn't taking all my holiday leave. And I was like, that's just stupid. Uh, when, when, I, when my first daughter was born, someone said to me, and it kind of is linked to this whole concept, you've only have a thousand weekends with your children, spend them wisely. Yeah. And thousand you know, weekends doesn't feel much, does it? No, no. I mean, in fact, it's less. It's, you know, because we all know by the time they're in their late, later teenage years, they're, they're definitely not wanting to hang out with, <laughs> with, with mum and dad. And, you know, all the bonuses in the world cannot buy you that magical experience of feeding the ducks with your children or watching a Moana movie with your daughter or, or flying a kite in the park and and that's what that book you know that's what he highlights right with all these incredibly successful people on a kind of a very narrow metric and and makes you do it so i think it, it's a truism which is it's where you spend your time and your energy that counts and i think you have to audit it in the same way that in order to lose weight they say you know keep a food diary i think it's really important to keep a time diary and my pa i call her my time personal trainer and her job is to say no. She knows all my priorities, including my date nights, my children's stuff. You know, last year, and I'm a, I'm a FTSE 100 board executive, I did 95% of all my daughter's school activities. Uh, I had a board meeting, which I missed because it was my wife's birthday, because back to that, I said, no, my family comes first. 
So there's a ruthless focus that goes, my family comes first, then my health, and then my work. And here's the irony. If you get those two things right, you smash the ball out of the park. And this, you know, if this isn't too deep, this then kind of connects into Taoism and yin and yang and kind of finding your chi and getting flow uh, from this. Whereas the, the danger, I think what Christensen doesn't call it, but my reflection sort of a few years later is that really so many of us get caught in the yang of life and using all of our yang energy and we don't kind of connect with our yin energy and then we just miss out on that on that flow and, and apologies if that that that's too i mean sammy i'm sure that oh my god i'm smiling because my new book has a chapter on yin and yang and a chapter on what Taoism can teach the west so uh yeah i'm smiling <laughs> over here but something i found rob was the more emails you send in life is the more emails you receive and when i look at my leadership journey i think one of the key lessons for me was about being humble i was that guy who went to mexico emailing my team from the beach thinking that I was keeping the whole operation together. But when I eventually left the big corporate job, I noticed the next day the share price went up in the company. And there's just that humility around what is your role and how can you start to put some governance around your personal life? And as I look at what's happening in COVID-19, I think it's fantastic that more people are being able to work from home and they should continue to have that flexibility to choose whether to go into the office or from home moving forward. But I also recognise that the Lines can be blurred when you're working from home and that imposter syndrome can come up of, am I doing enough? What else can I be doing in this moment? Or keeping the phone perhaps too close to your being. Just recognising that this new way of working, the new normal that's emerging, can bring with it some challenges for us to be aware of as well. I mean, can I, so this time last year, uh, so this is a great example of, you know, my, my natural derailers, uh, and and high yang energy. So it's coming to the end of school term. It's sports day, and there's a dad's race. And I'm like, right, okay, uh, I'm going to win this. Uh, of course, the dads all line up, and we have a race. And you know, I win the race. The next day, I wake up in absolute agony, and I can barely walk. And then, after about a week later, I then go. And by the way, I'd have been having back problems earlier and I'd gone to see, you know, a physiotherapist. And, and basically, I had acute sciatica. I then had to get an MRI scan and realised it was really, really bad. At one point, I thought I like, literally wouldn't be able to walk again. I mean, I couldn't even walk 200 metres from my office to, to the tube station in London. And it's interesting, a coach said to me, he says, look, Rob, what's the lesson here? You've got a real opportunity to slow down. What can you see? What can you feel? What can you notice? And what I realized is that all my kind of healthy stuff was really focused on only one aspect of health. And, and Sammy, you'll know this from Taoism, that there were kind of like really five pillars of health. And I was just really focusing on the kind of, the, the kind of muscle building uh, and the sort of anaerobic workout so spin classes and weights but here I was and I, I haven't been able to touch my toes for over 10 years my flexibility and mobility is terrible uh, I wasn't getting enough sleep I actually had an okay diet and so now I don't do any of that I do uh, I, every morning I get up and do a sort of stretch meditation thing with a calm app uh, the calm uh, sort of meditation app yeah uh, and then twice a week now i do one hour of pilates 
And I just would never have done that. And as I say, I was just so focused on, you know, how fast can I cycle or run and all the rest. And then I realized that actually that's not the most important thing. And I think for me, the book, the first book that ever gave me that insight was this book. I've then seen the kind of concept come up again and again in in other areas of which Taoism is 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 one of them. But it it is really pointing to that. Something that's emerging is it takes these big events for us to be able to question some of these things. And I think the book is suggesting on the last day of graduating from university, if we can just bring that forward so we don't have to wait for those big events. I agree, Sammy. And I thought that this book actually covered this off really effectively because in a way it's one of those things that's easier to say than it is actually to do. And I found it was a great reminder to try and think about your life's purpose, your strategy, where you're trying to spend your time. And by thinking about this, trying to avoid falling into that trap of waiting until that big offense, that big instant happens, which kind of course corrects you. So Rob, we're out of time. And as you know, in this episode, I came up with a central message of don't leave your life's purpose to chance. But if you had to summarize this book into a central message, preferably of eight words or less, what would it be? As someone who's sort of teaching, has taught one daughter and the youngest to to cycle, I think sometimes, if I may kind of overlay, you need to fall off the bike and learn. You know, it took me almost getting divorced to read the book and for the book to really resonate. A number of people who I bought the book for have said to me, I didn't really get it. And then I something happened to them and they I said, oh, why don't you reread it? And then they get it. It didn't take me, it took me getting sciatica for me to go and do something about it, despite knowing I need to kind of do more stretching or more yoga and all the rest. So I, I agree with you, don't leave it to chance. But at the same time, I think life is a journey and, and sometimes we do need to fall off the bike to learn that lesson. Fall off the bike and learn. Brilliant. Well, thanks, James. Thanks, Rob. And of course, the authors and all of our listeners. Hit subscribe and you'll be able to download our previous episodes. And as always, use the hashtag eight words or less and share with us your thoughts, experiences and any recommendations. Bye for now.